0: Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you again today. Worshiping to together online and wherever you are in your homes. Uh, as I'm sure has been said this morning, you've heard, we miss you. And uh, you, Pastor Eric just talked a little bit about that survey. You know, we're holding that open one more day, but we've already been combing through all of your suggestions, all of your thoughts, all of your input. Thank you so much. It is invaluable to us as we plan for the future and look forward to where God may be leading us. So thank you and keep up the good work out there. Keep uh, serving the Lord. And today, we're going to keep continuing in our series, Family Ties, through Ephesians. You know, we've been, the last couple weeks, especially focusing on that one little word, grace. Two weeks ago, we talked about God's amazing, marvelous grace poured out on us out on us so that we were saved by that grace. Saved by grace and not by works. And then we're told that he poured out, and Pastor Eric talked last week about God pouring out his grace upon us, upon the church as he calls us, as he gifts us to bring us together so that we may mature, so that we may grow up, so that we may all become one. And this grace is calling us and building us up into a body. And now, later in the book, Paul is going to talk about how this body and relationships uh, factor out in ways that we know very well you know, parent, child, husband, wife, even servant and master. But before he gets to those, he stops. And he, he stops for a, quite a significant portion of Scripture here, halfway through chapter 4, all the way through, halfway through chapter 5, to flesh out how we live out these relationships and what is necessary for us to live out these relationships together in one body. And he, he comes to something here which he says is just too critical, too important to understand that we don't neglect And so he starts in chapter four of Ephesians. Hopefully you have your Bibles handy there. If you turn to those, uh, it'll also, of course, be on your screen there, wherever you're watching. But Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Well, Here, Paul is describing people who are far from God. These are pagan people. And he's saying, listen, do not be like them. Do not be and take part of their deeds of darkness. And he's writing to them. And he even says specifically, don't be like the Gentiles. Now, you might remember that this is written written to both Jews and Gentiles that are worshiping and part of the church there at Ephesus. But Paul is reminding them, and he's specifically reminding the Gentiles of the pagan lifestyle that they came from. You know, the Jews were already monotheistic. They already believed in one God. They already were following the Torah to the best of their ability. They were already, in their view, anyhow, moral people. But the the pagan Gentiles were out there living in all these ways that Paul has just outlined. In fact, if we go back to Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, we see things like the the glorification of the the deity uh, Artemis. And and we we know that that there was the great temple of Artemis there, the daughter of Zeus, the sister of Apollo there, that they worshipped and built idols to. We're also told that in Ephesus they practiced magical arts. And so we know this was a dark place. It was also a diverse place. Many gods, a, a, a society where Christianity certainly wasn't center. It did not have a lot of influence at that time. It was very small. And so they were living in a society that was dark and pagan. And Paul here uses strong language. In fact, he says, not only do I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord. So he's insisting on this apparently because they were finding it difficult to live this new life to not fall back into old habits, to not go back to their old lifestyle. And so Paul is insisting that they leave behind the life they used to live. And in verse 20, he says this, that is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. (laughs) Paul says, "That's, that's not what I taught you. He said, this is not what you you heard. This is what I taught you about 10 years ago probably that Paul had been in Ephesus. But he he taught and, and the teachers that had come after him, the leaders of the church, this is certainly not what they were teaching. He said, this is not it. Take off, take off that old self which is being corrupted. Take off your old self. Take off your prior self. Take off your before Jesus self. You know, this was a a theme that Paul thought was incredibly important because at the same time he was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was writing the letter to the church at Colossae also. Another church that was started in Asia, most likely from people who had been in Ephesus when Paul was there. And he writes almost the very same thing in Colossians chapter 3. But there instead of saying, take off, he says, put to death that old life put to death reminds me of a theme that runs through Paul we see in galatians 2:20 i'm crucified in christ i no longer live but christ lives in me i'm crucified i put to death i i put off all of that old life i have made a break with my past you know so many so many of us so many of you have that kind of testimony Um, I once was. I once was one of these people living in darkness. I once was addicted. I once was lost in in, in the darkness of my mind. I I once was. And Paul's saying, don't go back. Don't go back. And then for the rest of chapter 4, And into chapter 5, he begins to list a lot of these lifestyles, these past habits, these deeds of darkness that need to be put to death, that need to be put off. And we don't have time to list them all today. I don't have time to preach them all. We could be preaching for a week and not hit near everything to deal with these. But I have tried to put them in one list for you. And here's a summary of that. Now, if you're looking at home right now, you're saying, I can't read that. It's probably so small you can't. You need a magnifying glass. That's right, because there are so many things that Paul lists here over these next chapters. I encourage you take time and read through them, the things we're going to put off. Let me just read this to you to let you know what you should be putting off or what Paul is telling them to put off. He says, quit lying. Don't let, don't be angry and sin. Don't let the sun go down on you while you're angry. Quit stealing. Don't use foul and abusive language. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of the harsh words. Don't slander anyone. Stop all types of evil behavior. Never give in to sexual immorality. Don't give in to impurity. Don't be greedy. Quit telling obscene stories. Stop foolish talk. No more coarse jokes. Quit worshiping the things of the world. Don't live like fools. And finally, don't be drunk with wine. And in the middle of that, in verse 30, he says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This list is very similar to what you, would, you read in Colossians chapter 3. Paul is saying to, to the people in Colossae and here in, in Ephesus, stop it. You can't continue to live this kind of life. That's not the way you were taught. You were taught to put these things off permanently. Submitting to Jesus changes everything. But so many times we try to, car- we try to car- car- put this into a, you know, its own compartment, compartmentalize it. I'm not saying that right, but you know what I mean. In his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg says this. Too often people think about their spiritual lives as just one more aspect of their existence, alongside and largely separated from their financial lives and their vocational lives. Maybe I would add to that our home life our Friday night life, our school life. Sometimes we separate our Sunday lives, the Sunday go-to-church lives, from Monday through Saturday lives. Paul says this ought not be. We need to put off those permanently. They should not be part of our lives on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all the way through the end of the week. I remember years ago in my younger days, I was quite the passionate and somewhat aggressive softball player. And uh, I remember even coaching in uh, our church team. I was playing in industrial league. I was playing in the church league. I was coaching the church team. And, and it, was, it was always a distressing to me. There was, I remember one team in particular. There was one church. I won't mention the denomination. I won't mention who they are. But there was one church I never wanted to play. And it's because they were the nastiest, filthiest, um, angriest group of fellas I've ever met in my life. As soon as the ball game would start, they'd be yelling at the umpires. And pretty soon they would, wouldn't be happy with something we would do as a team. And they'd turn it on us. And, they, and it just went on and on and arguing calls and, and language. And, and, you know, I'm sitting there as manager of the other team thinking, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in my situation? Well, Back in those days, my theory was Jesus would run up the score and rub their face in it. And so that's what we did. But uh, as I've grown up, I thought, that's not what Jesus would do. Uh, you know, we, 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 we want everybody to, to get out of those, to put off those lives of darkness. Paul says, that's not, we shouldn't be doing that. Have you put off the darkness? In fact, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 27, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him any opportunity. Because folks, when you give Satan an inch, he'll always take a mile. Satan is not happy just to have a little bit. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we allow these things to continue in our life, They lead to destruction. They lead to darkness. Don't give Satan a foothold. Put off those former deeds. Permanently, always. Don't even look back. So Paul's first teaching is about leaving the old life behind. Put them off those sinful behaviors. But then he reminds them in the next verse, verse 23, of the second truth that he was teaching. And he said, they must be made new in the attitude of your minds. So put off the old and then address your thinking. Of course, this is nothing new. Paul wrote this, to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, which Seth quoted during the music this morning, the worship time, says this, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Maybe if he was writing this to um, the church at Ephesus, he would say, don't do like the Gentiles. (laughs) Don't conform to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his, his perfect will. You see, we, we, we need much more than just putting off. We need transformation. And I love what Paul says here. We, it c- creates a new attitude, an attitude of the mind. When our minds are renewed, our lives are transformed. Not vice versa. We don't, we don't clean up our lives first and our minds. We, we 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 get our minds renewed. Do you remember what was in those first verses I read today? Ephesians chapter 4, 17, 18. It says it said this that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of their ignorance. You see, it has to start inside. The Holy Spirit has to do a work in us. Once God is working in us, once he pours out his grace on us and we, and we are maturing, it has to start with the way we think. How do we do that? Well, you know, we've been talking for the last months on praying scripture. Why? Because it's praying and it's scripture and it's putting together and it's saying, Lord, fill my mind with your word. Teach me. Speak to me. Change my heart. Change my mind. So that my mind can be renewed. And when our, when our minds are renewed, it's like the light switch flips on. Chapter 5, verse 8, he says, you were once in darkness. You were once You were once part of this darkness of the thinking of the Gentiles. But now you are light in the Lord. So live as children as light. But it starts in our mind. Jesus knew this. In Matthew chapter 5, he was talking about, um, you know, the, the the law. And of course, we all know, do not murder. And he goes, no, 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 no that's just cleaning up the outside a little bit what about hate i tell you don't hate change your thinking he says you've heard it said do not commit adultery i'm telling you don't even lust change your thinking renew your minds matthew 15:11 jesus says it's not what comes out in goes into a person's mouth that defiles them it's what comes out of their mouth it's what they're thinking it's what's in the mind. You see, we need, we need first, we need to cast off, we need to put off, but then we need to experience transformation, a new attitude of the mind. Because without a new attitude of the mind, without transformation, it's only a matter of time until you slip back to those old habits. I don't know what it was, um, that was causing these Christians to slip back. Maybe some just found it very easy and never really got changed. Maybe some over time kind of just fell back, got lazy, got lackadaisical. Jesus kind of talked about, I think, a little of this one time when he's telling a parable about a sower and a seed and, and, and soil. And he's talking about sowing the seed. And for some people, that, that seed just grows up quickly. They experience the joy of knowing Jesus. But when it's shallow, when those cares of the world, or when, the, when, the, when, when they see the world and they see all their life they had before and they, they go back to it and they die. Or maybe they're in it a little longer and they're looking well. They're looking like strong Christians. But the temptations, the cares of the world... Living like the Gentiles do calls them back. Paul says that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. Don't live that way. I didn't teach you that way. You need a renewal, a transformation of your mind. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. So Paul says, one, put off that old lifestyle. Two, be made new in the attitude of your minds. And now in verse 24, we see teaching number three. He said, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we just can't take off the old it's time for new clothes. It's time to put on. This reminds us of Paul's proclamation in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Once our minds have been renewed, once we've allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and to change our thinking, Once we've said, yes, I can leave back, leave behind that old life. I am crucified in Christ. All things are new. And we're to live into this new identity. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Both in Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul is saying that we are being made into the likeness of God. We are being made like God. We are to be holy. We are to be righteous. We exchange the old self for the new self. And that new self is to be like Christ. And then if you, if you look again through those passages, those verses in chapters 4 and chapter 5, you see another list. It's interspersed with that first list. And it's the things that we are to put on. And here's that list of things that we should be doing, according to Paul, that is like Christ, that is like God, that forms us into his image. And again, it's a, it's a long list and, and you can't read it because it's so long. So I encourage you to take time to read it this week. But here's the things that are in there. Speak truth. Work. Do something useful. Share with those in need. Build others up. Be kind. Be compassionate. Forgive each other. Be thankful. Exhibit goodness. Demonstrate righteousness. Express truthfulness. Do what pleases God. Expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Live wisely. Make the most of every opportunity. Understand the Lord's will. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms. Sing hymns. Sing songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And always give thanks to God for everything. This list must be like God. Because we are being formed into his image. We are created to be like him. Maybe it's best summed up with these words from chapter five, verse one and two. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. To God. Follow God's example. And so, in closing, why did Paul need to stick this in the middle of this book? He's been talking about theology and grace and being called to one, and he's going to be talking how those work out in relationships. Why did he need to put this here? Why did he need to remind us to put off, to renew, and to put on? I think there's two reasons, and both are important. The first reason is an individual reason. It's that we as individuals just should not be living this way. In fact, wow, he says in verse, chapter 5, verse 5, when he's talking about immorality, he says that the that, that, that inheritance, that don't bank on your inheritance that he's talked about because it's not for the sons of disobedience. Paul's pretty serious here. And he's saying, if you're living like these Gentiles, then maybe you're not really one of those who have given their life to Christ, who have the inheritance. Maybe you're not really part of the body. And that's serious. And we need to consider that. And so on an individual level, that's important. But even more so, I think, is on the corporate level. We are children of light. If the church, the body, is going to shine, it's not going to shine if we are people of rage and anger, of hatred, of potty mouth, (laughs) of coarse jokes, of idle talk backbiting, all the lists we could even think of. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. I think it hinges a lot on a hinge verse, verse 21, which ends this and introduces the next chapter. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What happens when you get two people in a room and they're both filled with anger and rage and Hatred and immoral, and they're greedy and they steal. There's not a lot of unity. But what happens when you get two people in a room who speak truthfully, who share, who build up, who are kind, who are compassionate, who forgive, who are thankful, who exhibit goodness, who demonstrate righteousness? What happens when those two people get together? It's beautiful community. What happens when a sanctuary or a worship center gets together with people who are that way? It's a beautiful community. The church needs us. The world needs Christians to put on To be like Christ to renew our minds if we're going to show the world the light and if we're going to live together in unity you know I've been reading a lot over these past few weeks and much in the past week as churches have started to consider when we might reopening of how this reopening is going to test the unity of the church in fact there was One organization that I respect a lot uh, just a couple days ago published this article, Church, Don't Let the Coronavirus Divide You. And in some of their writings, he says, you know, for example, someone might find it personally difficult or even maddening to have to wear a mask during church and stay six feet away from everyone at all times. You might think these precautions are needless overreaction, I love this. He says, but here's the thing. Even if you're right, can you not sacrifice your ideal for a season out of love for others who believe that precautions are necessary? Even if you personally think it's silly or even cowardly for someone to stay home after church is open again on Sundays, can you not heed Paul's wisdom? Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Or it's the other way around, of course, those that, that believe that uh, we shouldn't be doing things and how they react. You know, there's so much opportunity for division. Don't give Satan a foothold because when Satan gets an inch, he takes a mile. We need people. We need a congregation. We need a church and churches where people exhibit these attributes that Paul talks about. In our Wednesday night group, someone mentioned that this is a handbook to maturity. We are maturing. We are growing up. I encourage you this week to think about, is there anything I need to put off? Take a look at that list Read through chapters 4 and 5. Is there anything there I need to put off? Or maybe something that Paul didn't even list. What can I do to renew my mind? And finally, what do I need to put on? What do I need to put on this week? To become like God in holiness, in righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. And Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace that reaches down to even me and to all of us. And Lord, I know we're not perfect. I'm not perfect, far from perfect. But Lord, I just pray that these attributes that we've seen here would have no part in our lives. Lord, we would put them off. We would put them to death. Lord, we would be crucified in you. And Lord, we would be new again, new creations. Father, renew our minds. Help us this week to focus on you, to get into your word, to pray, to allow your Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. And then, Lord, help us to put on the new things that you've asked us to pick up. Lord, whatever it is in our lives that we're lacking, Lord, may we anxiously and and cheerfully this week look to those and, and, Father, clothe ourselves in those so that we would be the light of the world, Lord, that we would shine for you and that, Lord, we could live together in our homes, in our jobs, and, Lord, especially in our church, in unity, together, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. We thank you for what you're going to do in us, through us this week. And it's that strong, powerful, precious name of Jesus that we pray, amen, amen. Well, thank you for being with us today. Don't forget, uh, there will be some questions coming up here over the next 15 minutes. invite you to hang around the screen and think about them, maybe even share and talk with some of your uh, family that might be with you if that's the case. And then in about 15 minutes, join Pastor Eric in the cafe and to reflect on some of the thoughts of this message this morning or even some other thoughts that you may have as you've been reading through this great book of Ephesians. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. God bless.